This episode is brought to you by KPMG Risk Services. KPMG believes that when you've earned the trust of all your stakeholders, that's when your business has a solid platform to grow. That's the trusted imperative. KPMG Risk Services develop and put in place dynamic risk strategies designed to help your business earn that all-important trust. Go to read.kpmg.us slash trust to learn more. Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast peeps? Randy Gage here, and this is another of those special edition shows with a very special guest. Uh, And I try to pick people that aren't the, you know, may not be Oprah or uh, The Rock, but someone that uh, many of you will know, and sometimes many of you won't know, but I think they're really fascinating, intriguing people, and they're, they've reached high levels of achievement in business or sports or some certain area, and I think they could have great lessons for you guys who are interested in manifesting more prosperity in your life. And today's guest is no exception. His name is Jeffrey Hazlett. He is, was really a celebrity CMO. He's a best-selling author. He's one of my professional speaker colleagues. He's had shows, a TV show. He was a guest judge on Celebrity Apprentice. He runs the C-Suite Network. He's got a podcasting network. I mean, this guy is all over the place, operating at really high levels. So I know we're going to have just a really uh, uh, insightful conversation. So Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Well, good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, let me start. I said you were a celebrity CMO, kind of the Uh first. uh, You were one of the, I think, a pioneer in personal branding. And you were at Kodak. And uh, there's not many people who work for corporations that people would have said they were like a, a celebrity CMO. How to tell us a little about that, please. Well, and actually, it was Forbes that termed, uh, termed it. Um, you know, they put me on the front cover of Forbes and said the celebrity CMO, celebrity executives, you know, C-suite, because mm-hmm. not a lot of people were doing it. But, you know, that's what I was hired to do. I was hired to try to put Kodak back on the map. I think we were very effective in that and how we did it and the way in which we did it. Um, and as a result, they, they you know, they, that's what they named me. And as a result, I was on, you know, on Fox, on CNN, MSNBC. You know, I was at the Academy Awards. I was, you know, on red carpets doing a lot of things. But I was utilizing all that OPM, other people's money, you know, to basically draw attention to the brand. Even though we were billions of dollars, I was trying to cut cut billions out and at the same time was you know trying to raise the profile of the company and so I used myself as a weapon um, to do that because you know at that time and you know you got to look at myself kind of like a property you got to look at yourself kind of like a you know brand a brand being a, a promise delivered and how I was you know utilized as a brand tool for the you know, for the brand of Kodak. And that's what I did. And so, um, and so I was out there doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And of course I had the support of the other management team because you have to have that because that's not something normally, 
you know, a C-suite executive does. Normal at the time, they most C-suite executives want to stay out of the spotlight. They don't mm-hmm. want the they don't want the you know the intrusiveness of the media because it's not always a good thing. And you know, if you say something wrong, it could be a material change for the company. It could cost the company billions of dollars if you're if you're stupid um, or you make a you make a slip. So so most executives tend to to stay out of the spotlight. And and and, and quite frankly, especially when you've got a boss uh, who's your CEO and um, you're the CMO, that's you don't want to be the guy or the gal, and you tend to, to to put other people. But I use that as a weapon, and that led me to you know, to be a judge on Celebrity Apprentice for three, uh, three seasons, about nine episodes, um, you know, with the, with the Trumpster and everything else. So um, that led, and then that led me to, you know, when I left uh, literally 10 years ago, that that's how long it's been since that time period. Um, that led me to go on and host my own show on Bloomberg. And, and then it ultimately lead, you know, led me to create C-Suite TV with now 70 TV shows that we have. And, and then, and then eventually C-Suite Radio, which is our podcast network with about 157 shows and, and growing uh, one about every other day. So it's become a big business for us. So intriguing. You, everybody's looking at branding now. Every yeah. influencer on Instagram uh, uh, wants to, to build their personal brand. So you said something pretty intriguing. You said, well, a brand is a promise delivered. Can you break that down a little more for people who really don't get this concept of branding? Well, you know, let's go back when I left the Eastman Kodak and I stepped away from that. I, I sit down with a, a few members that I was going to be eventually my team. You know, people were close to me and said, look, we're going to utilize me as a brand. We're going to go out and create something and then build a, you know, um, you know, beginning of an empire or a beginning of whatever we want to say it was. And, so we said, well, what will we call us? What will we, how will we define us? And so we used a, you know, a, a celebrity CMO as the basis for that, you know? And so we created something called the global business celebrity. And so we said, that's what we'll do. So what's that mean? So what's, how does it manifest itself? And then how does it manifest itself into the other brand elements that you would create? So, you know, a best-selling author, of course, if you're going to call yourself a best-selling author, you better be one. <laughs> if you're going to call yourself, you know, uh, if you're oh, going to- really? Call, you got to do that? You yeah, mean? it's amazing. You know, it's amazing, you know, because uh, there are a lot of people out there that will fake it, you know, and, 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 and by the way, that was the element of part of the plan, which I still use today as I speak to speakers, I speak to coaches or trainers or, or people that are going out into this world. Um, a lot of celebrities, a lot of celebrities call us all the time and say, hey, tell me how you monetize this. Tell me how you did this. And, and so the first thing I think you have to ask yourself is, um, is, you know, do you want fame or you want fortune? Because that dictates your business plan. That dictates where you want to go. And of course, I want, I want fortune. And the reason I say I want fortune is because I want to make money. You know? I want to build wealth. I want to have you know, the thing, find things in life and I want to, you know, not to worry about from, you know, from hand to mouth. And so um, where a lot of people might want to go for fame. And I, I always say, if you go for fortune, get really good at what you do in this business, then you can, you'll gain the fame by doing a really good job. And if not, you could buy it because you got the money, <laughs> you know, and, and which, but as you know, in this industry, Randy, there's a lot of people who, you know, they want to be hugged. They want to be loved. And, so they typically go for the fame. And it, again, it, it affects your business plan. You know, I, I outlined, and I think you were there a number of years ago. I said, I'm going to go out and build this network called the C-Suite Network. 
and I'm going to do this and this is how I'm going to do it. And I kind of put it up on the board and showed a bunch of, uh, of speakers and thought leaders. This is what I was going to do. And I took their input on it because I wanted the collective, you know, brain power of all these people who built, you know, brands around their personal IP. And that's what it is. You know, we're, you have your brand. It's your own personal IP. I have mine. They're all different. Even though we might be in the same area, so to speak, we make, you know, we're speakers, we're, we're, um, you know, TV host or radio host or whatever it might be that we do, but, but, you know, we don't necessarily compete, you know, at that level. So, um, you know, and so getting back to the elements of the brand about a promise delivered, you know, and I said, well, look, that's how we describe ourselves. We, we describe me being a global business celebrity, you know, uh, a best-selling author, uh, you know, uh, Hall of Fame speaker, keynoter, and um, a business, you know, a business TV host or uh, radio podcast host and part-time cowboy. We actually throw that in there from time to time. And that's, that's the elements that we try to build. So if you had a kind of a, a triangle, reverse triangle, and you put the small end at the bottom and the big end at the top, well, we focus most of our stuff around the business side. The next at being, you know, a content provider. And then last, uh, we focus the brand around being a part-time cowboy. And so we show that aspect of my personal side. And, and of course, it, it, it reflects in the kind of things that I do on stage or, or do, you know, do on television, you know, because there's a lot of times, as you well know, Randy, you've, you've seen me or seen me perform or, or listen to me comment, be a commentator. And, I, and sometimes people will listen to what I, or, or watch me and say, did he just did he just say that? <laughs> you know, and, and that's that part-time cowboy thing, you know, yeah. that you just never want to know. You never know what is going to come out of his mouth, so to speak. And, and, and so that's, that's a, that's a very, one, it's me, but two, it's also very curated. We pay attention to that around that brand. And, and, and I don't think a lot of people spend enough time. Most people spend time about their brand when they're, when they're, you know, trying to get in and do the things that you and I do that looked like we do them so easy and so well, but we do them well because we've been doing it for a long time. And, and most, and we spend a lot of time thinking about it. You know, I, you're, you're a heavy thinker. You're a deep thinker. That's why I like you so much is that you, you see things and look for things that most people never, never even suspect. And, and I try to do the same thing. And, and so we're, we're very good at our craft. Um, but we're also very good at the skill sets. And, and so therefore we spend a great deal of time thinking about how that's going to affect us or, you know, and, and, or how it's going to have an impact on the engagement of the people that we're trying to, uh, trying to reach. And I, I think that more, more, more people that are looking at how they brand themselves need to be more introspective of that. And then, and then to drive those things that, you know, that they want to have happen. And so it get, again, it gets back to that fame or fortune kind of discussion. So are you suggesting you can't just write thought leader on your Twitter profile and that doesn't make you a thought leader? <laughs> well, you can, it doesn't make you one, but you know, I, you, you actually, uh, there, I, you gave one of the best talks I've ever heard um, to thought leaders or to people in this profession. And you know, I've written to you before to say, Hey, I want to, I want to use a piece of that here or there. And I've written and given you lots of kudos and credits. And, you, you know, you gave like, I think it was like 20 some things. And I, I distilled it down to about probably 10 or 11. But, 
you know, that to be a thought leader, I, I love things that you said. I can, I, again, I don't have the notes in front of me. I'm just quoting. For, this is, I think, a four, three or four year discussion. Yeah, it was, it was actually the same event where you scripted, you did half the day and I did the other half of the day where you scripted out, hey, I'm going to build this network with the C-suite network and I'm going to mm-hmm. podcast. And it was actually the same. The same was day. it the same? That was 2014 or 15. I can't remember. I think it was yeah, 15. somewhere somewhere. I think it was 15. There. I think it was 15. But anyway, regards, it was, you know, a number of years ago. And you, you said, well, to be a thought leader, you have to be quoted. To be a thought leader, you have to be hated. You know, to be, and I just thought, wow, that's true. You know, so you can't just say you're a thought leader. You have to create something of, that's worthy of, of someone wanting to write it down or someone wanting to hate you for it. Yeah, that, you know, that's the, pretty good. I, I think the part that people just the glaring obvious part that they miss is thought leader would imply you're leading in thought. And they think by if let's say they read the 10 most influential books on the subject or follow the 10 most influential speakers and learn all that stuff and then report on it or condense it or you know uh, uh, curate it that makes them a thought leader but it doesn't it makes them an expert because they're still just reporting other people's thoughts they've Mm -hmm. never really said well wait a minute i know everybody in the world says the sky is blue but is the sky really blue you know can i question that premise and can i you know what is the the conventional thinking that I believe is a bad premise. And that's the part uh, you're doing a good job of that. A lot of people, they just, it never even occurs to them. Yeah. I think to, to be a contrarian in some cases, to at least to see other sides of the view, you know, that's, that's why, you know, I think, you know, it's, I recently wrote this book called the hero factor, which is all about, you know, these leaders that we have in our, in our hero club. And I saw this very big trend of, of, of I'll say something that most people here won't want to hear. And that is Donald Trump is good for this country. Now I don't say that because he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. I happen to know him, know him well, been at his house, done those things, you know, been on a television show with him for a number of years, Mm -hmm. know his kids and everything. I got to tell you, and I've been public about this. I didn't vote for him. I think he's batshit crazy. But I think he's good for this country. And the fact that I say this is, and this is, I think, gets to your point, Randy, is because he's making us pick sides. Mm-hmm. And for years in, this, in, in the political realm of things, we've allowed things to go along. We've just put up with it. We put up with it. We put up with it. And guess what we get? Well, we got it. And so now he says or does things that make us either move one cognitive distance and move one way or the other. And it's making us pick sides. Thank goodness for that. Because what it will lead to is something that's better than what it is today. And so I took a lot of flack about that because, you know, people thought, well, you're saying that because he's your friend. I said, no, let's be clear. I think he's batshit crazy. You know, (laughs) um, you know, so no, and I didn't vote for him. And, but, you know, uh, you have to look for where there is good that comes from it, you know. And, and to me, that's, that's one of the greatest things that I, one of the greatest gifts that he's given us from that perspective. And now, it's a lot of times no pain, no gain. In this case, we got a lot of pain to get the gain, but nonetheless. And, and so I think that's, that's where it gets back to your example. Do you, 
you know, if you're going to be a thought leader, then lead, but be lead, be, be a leader based in the grounding and, yeah, and grounded I, in thought. And I think that's an important piece. You can't just, you can't curate it. You can't make a list of it. Well, you're an editor then, you know, yeah. you're a gatherer. Yeah. I love what you're saying on thought uh, on Trump because uh, like you, uh, I think he is absolutely bad shit crazy. I think he's probably the most psychologically damaged i mean serious narcissism you know maniacal bordering on sociopath even and i don't say that to be snarky or mean or i mean yeah. really clinically i i believe that and people are going to say well you're not a psychologist you can't diagnose i'm not die i mean like I have vitiligo on my which is you know the the condition where you don't have pigment in your skin so yep. somebody looks at me at the shopping mall, they can say the guy has vitiligo. They don't have to be a doctor. They don't have to do a checkup with me. They don't even have to have ever studied medicine if they know what vitiligo is, you know, and it's the same. If you look at the behavioral tendencies of uh, president Trump, I mean, this is some serious issues, yeah. but you're right. It had, you know, that is what, when, Sometimes we need wake up calls. Sometimes the, whether you believe in God or the universe or whatever, I believe that I've had a lot of really dramatic, traumatic, horrific experiences in my life that were really good for me. You know, getting shot and left for dead is not something I recommend, but it was amazing for me that the benefits afterward. Yep. You know, facing death was amazing for me. The benefits afterward, you know, the losing my business, getting it auctioned off at the IRS on the courthouse. That wasn't a lot of fun to go through, but that was a formative part of my life that made me so much stronger today. So the fact that you're willing, especially uh, Trump, who is just the, the third rail of political debate today, that, that you're willing to make statements like that that's exactly what thought leaders do they, they well, and it's not just to be controversial although i'm good enough marketer to understand what what makes good what makes good copy what makes good video you know i'm 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 good at that let's be clear everyone that's listening and don't don't think oh my gosh he's just as much a narcissist as trump no look i have to look at look at what we do um what I do is almost a third party is a, is a separate brand. And, 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 and I mean by that as an entity and that you have to look at it like a product and I, and I do. So I know the craft of the craft. And so I spend a great deal of time, although it comes a lot more naturally for me than most people, just because I've been doing this for a long time in my life as a marketer or a business person. So I know, you know, to how to use a quote, you know, if I'm going to talk about Netflix, when, you know, it changed from, uh, its model, and they tried to do a Quickster. If you remember that, they tried to do a, a streaming. When they went first to the streaming model, they they dumped off their old uh, you know CD rental or DVD rental thing, and they m named it Quickster. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I said it'd be 30 days, and Quickster will be Deadster. You know, mm -hmm. and and I made that prediction, and within 30 days, I was back on all the air, you know things. And I said the CEO of that company had a shorter-lived career than Bud Fox did when he was 
the president of uh, what North Star Industries on 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 Wall Street mm-hmm. um, in the movie, and you, you learn different things to be able to utilize and how to do that. So you know, look, I get it. When if I talk about Trump, I'm gonna, we, my numbers are going to go up. But but beyond, you just can't just talk about Trump. You 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 got to talk about things that mean, and you have to move people to discussions and move people to a different point of view. Or what's the purpose of it? Yeah. You know, to me, it's like, I don't have time for that in my life. Um, I really don't care. You know, it's like a lot of people will come to me, Randy, and I'm sure you get this all the time. Well, you got to do this or you got to do this. I mean, people have been wanting me to do courses for years. Well, I don't want to do courses. Well, Jeff, but you'll make a lot of money at it. Yeah, I understand. But I don't need a lot of money. You know, I don't want to do that. So if I don't want to do that, I don't do it. Or, you know, I'll be doing my television show and all of a sudden I'm done doing my TV show. I'm going to go do something else. And that, that's, that's who I am because I like to do different things and I like to learn. I mean, that's part of my personal conditions of satisfaction is that, you know, I like to learn new things. I like to build wealth for my family, but I like to do new things and I like to have fun doing them. And when I can't have all three of them, I don't want to do them. And so for some things, for me, it becomes a point of where I'm, nah, I just don't want to do that anymore. So let's go back to the hero factor book. Uh, you talk a lot about company culture and the mm-hmm. role it plays. Would you share some thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think we're at a very pivotal time. In fact, I, I've got this chart on page 12. And by the way, you can go to theherofactorbook.com and you can get you know, an assessment, which is this assessment I'm talking about. And I, I, we can map out based upon certain questions or just look at the companies. You can see what, how, they op, how they operate and what kind of values they have. So if we put one axis and say it's an operational excellence, so at the low to high, you know, zero to high, and then across the bottom you put values from no values to high values, then you could start to map out the kind of companies that we have in this world. And I've always in my life, I'm, you know, from small towns, my dad was in the military, so I lived all over the place, but I spent a great deal of my, my youth and my years in South Dakota, which I still live today. And, you know, I go down to the village and pancake house when I was just a young business person and had my own company. And I would sit next to the table where the big, the big guys and gals would sit, would sit and say, one day I hope to be like them because they were the kind of businesses that took care of the symphony, took care of the, the people, made sure that the bikeathons were running and the walkathons were done and, you know, bought the little league teams uniforms. And I used to think, man, those are, those are really hero businesses. Those are the kind of businesses that you, you'd point at and say, wow, they're, they're real. They're, they're, that's the real leaders. And I've always wanted, I always want to be that. And to me, that's the companies that have that hero factor. And, and so I found out these kinds of companies, they earn more than anyone out in anyone in their industry. They gross more than anyone in their industry. They have happier employees, more engaged customers, vendors who want to do business with them. And as I said, they're well respected in the community as opposed to like an operational excellence business, which has low, lower values, but really high operational excellence, like a Walmart or, a, you know, um, a GE great businesses. But, you know, when you think about, you know, their value set pretty low on the scale mm-hmm. or let's go high values like, you know, do-gooders, you know, they're, they, they have the highest values you've ever seen in your life, but they can't, you know, operate up on a wet paper sack. And so in, in somewhere in between there, you have good co's and wannabes. And, and of course, in the far left-hand corner of that chart down with no values and no operational excellence, you have what I call the asshats, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, you know, 
a, a hero business is a company that really says, I'm going to put profits, uh, excuse me, people over profits. And we're going to operate with people in mind. And we're going to operate as a community. And we're going to take care of the environment. We're going to take care of the people that work for us. We're going to take care of our customers. You know, we're going to, you know, going to take care of the people that live in our community. And I, to me, that's a pretty cool thing. And I'm really focused on that today. That's probably, you know, consumes a majority of my time. Not probably. It does consume a majority of my time. Why I'm still running all the other things is to build, you know, a, a hero culture of businesses and to a community of those um, and to focus on them. And that's what that's what I'm doing today. So funny thing, I my next book comes out May next year. I sent it in uh, very recently. I have a chapter in there uh, titled "While Why Brilliant Visionary CEOs Usually Fail," mm. and I talk about how they turn into martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> and your book, you're talking about. Uh, the you know explain to people the difference between a hero and a martyr. <laughs> well, I mean that's a, that's spot on. I mean, a, a a hero business leader. Nobody wakes up, Randy, and says, "I want to be a hero." Right? There's nobody. Now there are people who wake up and they want to act like they're going to be heroes, and or 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 you know rally to the cry to the point they become martyrs, but. You really want leaders who want to put the community first. And that's what it's about. It's about building a hero culture, a hero community in your company that wants to do the right thing. So even at the lowest level of the company, someone can stop the presses. Someone can stop the production line because we are not living to the values of the company. And what, what could be the walk away, what I call walk away values, you know, and, and does everybody know what those are? And by building that and, and striving for that, well, then you become a real hero leader. And that's a lot different than being a, than a, than a martyr. So since we're talking about heroes, who were your heroes growing <laughs> up? And like, who would be your heroes now or both? Well, they're pretty much the they're pretty much the same, you know. Growing up, my heroes, the people that I respected, you would never know. And and I think that is for most of us. While most of us like to point to a maybe a oh, I don't know an athlete or something like that, I don't give a rat's ass about most of those guys. What I do care about are the people that help me instill certain values and principles into doing the right kinds of things. And it'd be guys like um, Harold Jones. You don't know Harold Jones, but Harold Jones was my little league baseball coach. And he was my little league baseball coach back in about 1972, 73, 74, right after he got back from Vietnam War. He was a, a Marine and he was a, a gunnery sergeant on a Marine helicopter. And his brother also served. And while my dad was over in Vietnam, he was back coaching little league and kind of adopted me at a point in my life where I could have gone the wrong way. Mm-hmm. and and little did I know that that's what he was doing and he and his wife uh, Gail uh, who I still keep in contact with now Harold's now passed but you know they they didn't have to adopt me as a young teenager and give me a job you know sanding down a car that he was going to refinish and do the stuff and let me hang out at their 
apartment, which was, you know, six blocks away from where I lived. And, you know, I was just this buggy little kid. Right. But that's a, that's a, that, and he, he taught me, and by the way, he, he took me to my very first, uh, uh, deer hunting camp mm-hmm. in Georgia. And it was big John's deer hunting camp. And he, and he helped me become a member in that camp as an equal man in the camp where I had to pay my 75 bucks. I remember this, my <laughs> 75 bucks to join that hunting camp. And I was treated just like every other man in that camp as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And then he, and by the way, I didn't have 75 bucks. You know, so what he did, my second hero, Fred Pinson, who was a plumber who gave me a job so that I could earn the 75 bucks so I could join that hunting club. And, 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 and Fred didn't have any children and he was a much older man. And yet uh, he used to drive me around in his plumbing truck and I used to help out and work and dug ditches and I was a gopher basically, you know, mm-hmm. that age. And so, or a John Timmer who uh, passed this last year, who was a state legislator in the state of South Dakota and a fierce Republican to the opposite beliefs of most of the things that I believe in from a political standpoint, but not from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. who, who taught me to stand up and fight for principles, even when it costs you, because it's the right thing to do. And John did that. John, John was a Republican who could have gone on to bigger and greater things, but he stood up for people when it wasn't always popular. And, and that was it. And, and another guy like Michael Connor, Michael Connor, who, who was also a state legislator, ran for, ran for governor and, oh, I did a bunch of different things. And he owned a print shop and I bought my print. I brought it, bought his print shop mm-hmm. and he taught me the value of, of a Z out. And most people who are listening won't even know what the hell I'm talking about, but a Z out something you used to do on a cash register. And he taught me the value, how you measure that every day and what you had to do and how important was it to pay attention to things like that. So those are the kind of heroes that I had growing up and then you know my own mother and father but my mother more than my father and I'd say that if my dad was alive in front of me because she was she was a single mother for most of her life and she just she just you know she did the she did it and I I don't even know how she did it I don't know how she made it have no clue my mom uh, same thing yeah yeah it's just she raised three kids my mom single at a time where single moms were just not a thing (laughs) yep yeah, I, I still don't know how she how she put food on. You know, I, I remember back now things like, you know, how we ate, what we ate. You know, we don't. Do you ever have, I mean, I don't know about how poor you were when you were growing up, but we didn't have a lot. But everything we bought at Sears, you couldn't buy it. I didn't know you couldn't buy any. The only thing I knew you could buy was at Sears. You couldn't buy it at Sears. You couldn't, we didn't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> that was one. And then with two, I always remember things like, um, I never knew you couldn't put rice in chili. Uh, and I still didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't because I think you have to be a godless communist to do it. But <laughs> what is, what, well, she did it there... to, she did it to stretch it. Right. You put oh. rice. In. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, oh, so little yeah, things like yeah. that, that, that I look back on and go, Oh my God, that's why she did it. Or, you know, uh-huh. we used to eat, we used to eat salmon patties and she used to tell us how special that was. Well, no, because it was cheap and she could put crackers with it and she'd fry them up. And, you know, things like that that I think back now. But can that, that really compete with the Mrs. Paul's 
fish sticks that my mom gave oh, me. Oh, yeah, I remember. Every time I, I had those. We all had those for those TV dinners. Remember those? They were, folks that listen right now, we didn't have these little things, these nice little Weight Watchers things or whatever the things you can eat now. Man, we had these tinfoil TV dinners. Swanson. They Swanson, were exactly. Amazing. They were exactly. amazing. Totally. Turkey totally. with mashed potatoes. Or pot horrible pies. plastic we green pot pies. pies. Yeah, oh, we used to eat a lot of pot pies. Pot you, pies were yeah. I still, to this day, that's the one, the driving reason why I eat at Boston Market. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, every week or two to get a pot pie. There you go. I haven't had a pot pie in a long time, but you know what? I might have to go make one. I like <laughs> to make them. Wow. That's a lot of work. You know, it's not, it's like take out, take all the stuff that's left over from the week and just throw it in one of those little pastry things and cover it up. There you got a pot pie. There you go. Well, that's Add some true. gravy. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it was. Shepherd's pie, the same way. I mean, my family's Irish, so mm-hmm. shepherd's pie was the same thing. That's you just took it all left over and you throw out some mashed potatoes on the top and now you got something. Uh, all right. So tell me something that you have changed your mind on recently something what's a belief that you had that all of a sudden you don't have anymore something that because you're how old are you now i'm 58 no 59 59 okay all right so you're just a year younger than me so we're both in the same bracket and Mm -hmm. the older we get the the more everybody the older you get the more set in your beliefs are right so it's really tough to change a belief at our age is there anything I don't, I don't typically, you know, Randy, change beliefs or values. I, I, I'm pretty, pretty grounded on that, but my, my, but my things are grounded in a way that I, that, that I'm open to the change. And so when I, when you ask me that question, it's difficult for me to think of it because I'm always changing. I'm always learning. I'm, I don't see, I live my life with a constant awareness. I don't know what I don't know. And, um, um, and so I try to live in an, it's, it's kind of like being a, a hunter, you know, who's always looking for its prey or always looking for the outside influences that are going to affect whether you're going to eat that night, you know? And so for me, um, you know, it's like a lot of folks who ask me in interviews like this, said, what's the worst mistake you've ever made? I said, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. So, mm-hmm. which means I'm going to make a bigger one, you know, and, and that's kind of how I go about it. So, why, why I might believe this today, I'm open tomorrow that it will change. Does that make sense? I don't, I, I'm not yeah, trying to be yeah. flippant, but I'm really deeply grounded in that. Okay, that's cool. But, 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 but the belief systems of making sure that I treat you with respect, even though I might absolutely detest everything about you, you know, or, <laughs> or, or what you just said but I will, will defend your right to the death to say it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and I, you know, I question myself a lot. like that. Like, you know, I grew up in the military and like, let's just say like, let's take the burning flag issue or the taking of a knee uh, during a, uh, the national anthem. Can't stand it. Just can't stand it, but I'll defend their right to do it. And by the way, by doing it doesn't mean it should not have consequences to you either you know either positive or negative and so which i'm okay either way so when you you know it's like i i tell people 
um, when when you're <laughs> like in business, there are many times when you're you do something and somebody else does something and then they sue you for it, you know, or whatever, or you have yeah. a disagreement about it. Yeah. And you and you got to defend yourself, or you can pay it off and just be done with it. Well, there's a cost for being righteous. You know, just oh, like yeah. there's a there's a benefit for it too, right? So so I so I kind of look at things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm very practical about that. So, I mean, you know, I, I got into a tiff with my staff in June because I was going to prove them wrong as a result of it. I, you know, I ticked them all off and, but, you know, I was right, you know, in the end, I, you know, I made it happen, but there was a price to pay for that. And, and I apologized to them afterwards. So there's a good example of where, you know, um, I made some changes, but, you know, I said, here's why it was grounded this way. And then I acted the way I did was to prove you all wrong. Well, okay, I proved you wrong, but in the process, I made you all mad. Well, that doesn't, <laughs> what'd that get me, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that, I think that you gotta be open to that. There are any, uh, what, what, what would be the books that, uh, book or books that impacted your life the most? Well, there's a, a number of them. Um, I, I read a lot, I read a great deal. I'm reading one, uh, 1919 on the, the revolution of the independence of Ireland right now. Um, but I, but I do, I read a lot of history. I'm, I'm also reading a five, five book an, uh, anthology of George Washington's life, um, which is kind of an interesting one. The, but the ones that, 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 that impacted me the most, okay, are things like, uh, actually Dale Carnegie's, you know, mm -hmm. how to win friends and influence people. I, I read it every single year. I love the book, The Goal. Um, it's not well written, uh, but oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. a while since I read that. Yeah. It's not very well written, but every time I, I come to an impasse, I pick up that book and read it and it helps me just kind of push past it. Um, and, and to move through the, the steps I, I think are important. Um, you know, I, there's certainly Augmandino and, uh, think and grow rich. Those were all books that I read as a teenager. And then there are books that are written like by Robert Rourke, who is um, uh, an outdoor writer who wrote for um, uh, Outdoor Life. And he was uh, very similar in his, his, um, his uh, writing style as, as um, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, God, the, the guy used to live in Cuba. Uh, big famous writer, Ernest Hemingway. There we oh, go. Oh, Hemingway. Yeah. Okay. And, and so his books are, you know, based on truth, but, but fictions. And, you know, there's a book called the old man and the boy and the old man and the boy grows older that to me, those are two of the greatest books. And I read those. And then, then there's some other great authors of the, of the great Midwest that I, that I've read of history of history. I love history books. Mm -hmm. And um, so I read a great deal of that, but the, the, um, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that will pick up a book and read the entire history of Kings and Queens of England, you know, um, mm -hmm. and I, and I've always, uh, when I was young, very young, um, in first grade, I started reading biographies and, uh, I, I still, I still read today. I mean, I've got a whole stack of books sitting on top of my, on my, on my, uh, nightstand. I keep one, I got a couple homes. And so I have a stack of books on, in each nightstand and I just pick them up and read them and then I'm done and then I pass them on. Yeah, it's, for my case, I was a voracious reader as a kid. That's what really saved me. That's what mm -hmm. I attribute 
all my success to is I developed a love of reading. And I was reading like Hardy Boys and yeah, sure. Robert Ludlum novels and uh, thrillers. And I didn't know anything about self-development and the books that would later impact me so much. But I did, even though I didn't know self-development books existed, I did read biographies and that, you know, those are really are the ultimate self-development books. If you're reading biographies of people who have done things you want to do or been like the kind of person you want to become, they're, they're the ultimate self-development book. So, well, I remember the first, the first real biography I thought was the best and it was Lee Iacocca's autobiography. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That was like, wow. And then, that, you know, then the next big business book that I read that I still to this day can remember and it was huge was um, Barbarians at the Gate. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, was, uh, take- that was like a phenomenon at that time. Oh, it was that was you know, of course they was made into a movie, yeah, um, an HBO movie, and and later on. But I remember reading that book, and I just could not put it down. And I think it was like seven hundred pages or so. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was huge book. Yeah, and the takeover R J R Reynolds Nabisco, and you know Kravitz and KKR. KKR, and was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was in the eighties. That book uh, came out and. Yeah. The, and so there's things like that, that I remember reading. And of course, you know, you know, uh, of course you and I've met and sat next to and talked and of course, colleagues of people like Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and oh, Og. Bill Brooks and, you know, Og Mandino. Yeah. Some, so many of these people that we were lucky you know, at our age to be able to meet and get to know. And, and, um, you know, and now follow in, in, in their footsteps because of what they did. Yeah. So the herofactorbook.com is where they can get that assessment. Yep. It's free. Uh, I don't care. I don't care whether you buy the book or not. Take the assessment, you know, um, go, go find out where your books, where your, where your, where your business stands and then see how you can move it more towards the upper right hand quadrant, you know, high values and high operational excellence. And, well, get the book too. He need poor Jeffrey yeah. needs the money. He's got to buy some more. <laughs> I need a tractor. Bacon. <laughs> I need a tractor. Yeah, I need some more bacon. I need a tractor. I need more scotch. Well, scotch I'm pretty good on because I've got, uh, you know, I got a good, I got a good couple of sponsors. So that's good. <laughs> uh, where else is, uh, should they find you? Well, you can find me at hazlet.com, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T.com, or C-Suite, anything with C-Suite. So C-Suite Network, C-Suite Book Club, C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio, uh, C-Suite Network Advisors. You can find us, uh, you know, we're pretty much all, all over the place there. And, and uh, you know, obviously on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, and, you know, LinkedIn, I'm there. All right. So final thoughts, the people listening, they're... Uh... They're all about prosperity. How do they manifest it? How can they get more success in their life? Any final thoughts you would give? Yeah. The more you give, the more you get. That's what I've always found. And, you know, my team sometimes will go like, why are we, why are you talking to that person? Because I take every call. I I answer every email. I, I can't believe people don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and peop, my team, sometimes they, they, they don't understand it at first and they go, why, why, why? I said, you know what? We got here because somebody else gave us a hand. I wouldn't have got here if it weren't for people like Harold Jones and John Timmer and Mike, Michael Connor and my mom and other people who, 
or my uncle Miner, you know, who when I had no money, you know, or my uncle Tommy would reach down in his pocket and give me 20 bucks. I mean, I remember what those days were like. And, and if you don't give, I mean, my gosh, what's the use of it? So the more you give, the more you get. And, and you know what the other thing I found out, Randy, is there's a pony in there somewhere. Yeah. You know? There's a pony that you get to ride, you get to, you get to see. And that's the, the excitement. And, the, the, you know, that you remember that first time you saw a pony, you rode on a pony, how excited you were? Yeah. Well, there's always, you know, and by the way, there's a lot of bad things in there too, but, but it's the ponies that keep us going. That's what's really cool. And all my millennial listeners, you'll have to Google. There's a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of giving, 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 thank you for giving in this. This was uh, really wonderful. I just appreciate you and uh, appreciate you taking the time to share those thoughts with uh, everybody listening. Well, thank you too, Randy. I mean, you're, you are an inspiration. You've been doing that. You've been living your life that way. You're proof that no one, you know, you know, sometimes we make mistakes, but no one died. So just keep moving, you know, and keep making it happen. And if you can do that, that's pretty damn good. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.